0: This morning, I'd like us to focus on a phrase that is found in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 8. And the phrase is, beyond our strength. Beyond our strength. And so before we go into that, I'd like to pray, and, uh, and then we're going to take a look at this text. Let's pray together. God, we thank you so much for your kindness to us. Uh, we thank you for your wisdom we thank you for the fact that you are on the throne and that you're in control. We want to take the time to pray for our president and his cabinet, that you give them wisdom and courage, and that those on the cabinet that know you, that you'd strengthen them. Those who do not know you, that you bring them to faith. We pray for our Congress and our Senate and our legislative branches. God, would you give them wisdom and help them to rule and, and just to do what's right in, the, in your eyes, not in our eyes, but in your eyes. And we pray for our governor, and we pray for all of our city um, people who are in charge of things in our police department. We pray for our nurses and doctors and hospitals in these times. God, they need great wisdom and resources, and would you protect them, and would you give them great skill? Lord, we want to thank you as well that we have brothers and sisters all around the world who have already worshipped you, and we're part of that great family So even what we do, we're not alone. We thank you for the universal church. And we know that some of our brothers and sisters have been hit harder than others by this virus. But some of our brothers and sisters, Lord, live in the context of persecution. And we pray that you would comfort them and save their persecutors. And Lord, we pray this morning that you'd have a word for us and that you'd speak to us. We have a great need to connect with you, to hear from you. And to be able to leave our worship time of song and of sermon and of communion, knowing that we actually fellowshiped with you. That's our greatest passion, our greatest need. And so would you come do what only you can do? Would you come heal and convict and strengthen? Would you come save? Would you come comfort? Would you make yourself known that you are God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit? We thank you, Father, for having us in your hand. We thank you, Jesus, for being our prophet, priest, and king, and we thank you, Spirit, for dwelling within us, and now pour yourself out on us during this time. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. This phrase, uh, beyond our strength, captured me as I was thinking and praying about what to preach here this morning. And I'm one of those guys who likes strength. I I like to see strength in people. I like to see strength in communities. I like to see strength in nations. I like to see strength historically. I like documentaries uh, where things are strong. Um, And and I I just have a personal bent towards that, which means I hate weakness. I hate vulnerability. I hate gray. I want things clear. Uh, And our culture is much the same. We celebrate strength. We like strong, we like to be fiscally strong, and we like to be strong as a nation, and we like strong athletes, and, and we like everything strong and powerful. Our superheroes have superpowers. We are bent towards strength because the opposite of strength is, well, that's vulnerability. But here, Paul says he was once in a situation that was beyond his strength. You know, individually, or whether it be in our marriages, our family, our church communities, our cities, our states, our country, our world, we constantly are in this state, in and out of these seasons of being beyond our strength. This whole coronavirus has shown us that as a nation, we are beyond our strength. And maybe there's some listening in right now that you're saying, no, it's not about the nation, it's about me being quarantined having being furloughed, maybe lost my job, or maybe having loved ones who now I can't even go to the hospital, beyond your strength. Uh, Maybe you're a nurse or a doctor, beyond your strength. We're, We're kindly getting it shoved in our face that we have limitations. That in spite of our wealth and our technology and all of these things, there are seasons in our life where we just don't have what it takes to get through. You see, we want to be prepared. Uh, we, we, we want to reward the strong. But if we're honest, redemptive history, the Bible, is basically a record, post-Genesis 3, of people constantly finding themselves in places where they were beyond their strength. They didn't have what it took. Noah didn't really have what it took. He needed God's assistance. Abraham didn't really have what it took. And throughout history, we see David did all these people. They, they didn't have the strength, but God always met them there. I realize, too, that this phrase, beyond our strength, is more than just kind of a principle or a fact or reality. Um, but it's... its uh. It's emotional, too. Some people, when they get to the state where they are beyond their strength, they kill themselves. Some people, when they get to the state, they medicate. In other words, it's human to cope with the reality when you find yourselves beyond your, like everybody has a way that they respond to being in a situation where there's nothing else you can do. Some of us rely on God. Some of us go to more nefarious things. Some people on a daily basis say, there's nothing more I can do, and they check out a life. In other words, this is like a serious state. And some of you may be tuning in right now, and you know exactly what I'm talking about. Because You're at that crossroads right now as a mother, as a father, as a brother, sister, in your marriage, with with coworkers, where you're you're drowning. You're you're saying, I don't know how I'm going to get out of this. And my hope this morning is that God will comfort you through this. I want to do three things real briefly with this phrase, beyond our strength. One, I want to give you some basic information about it. And then two, I want to take a little bit of a deeper dive into our text. And then three, I want to show you some applications. So first of all, beyond our strength, um, uh, where, where this was said. Well, this 2 Corinthians this is the second book that Paul wrote to a church named Corinth. It's a famous church. We like to be reminded that when those of us who long for the good old days of the New Testament, we always tell people, have you read First and Second Corinthians? The good old days. Uh, But Paul had a very interesting relationship with this church. But he was really honest with this church. And in the second letter, he's more personable. He's he's not just going after church issues. He's talking about himself. And, And in this letter, particularly in the first chapter, he talks about a time in his life when he was beyond his strength. And if we know anything about the Apostle Paul he's kind of like on the Mount Rushmore of greatest Christians of all time. He's kind of like the goat guy, <laughs> saw Jesus, raised people from the dead, planted churches, wrote half of the New Testament. So for him to say that there was a time in his life when he was beyond his strength, we need to go, hold on, we got we, we to listen. Because this guy was like the Christian of Christians. And he's saying, hey, church, there was a time in my life, it wasn't there. It was beyond my strength. And he's telling a church this. And, and he's telling a church this in the context, you can go and to read verses 10 and 11, because he wants them to trust in God when they find themselves beyond their strength. Because Paul knows that when we get in these positions, when we're beyond our strength, we kind of go left and right instead of rely on God. But, but what I want to do secondly is I want to take a little bit of a deeper dive into this. And, and I, want to, I want to actually look at the verse and just point a few things out to you about the near context of this phrase, okay? So if you look with me at Second Corinthians 1.8, first thing I want you to see is notice in verse 8 he says, For I don't want you to be unaware, brothers, Uh, Some versions say, I don't want you to be unaware or uninformed, brothers and sisters. You say, well, what's the point of this? The point of this is Paul wanted the church to know about how he was doing. Now, if we're honest, we don't always want the church to know how we're doing. And uh, sometimes we don't need to know how you're doing. Uh, I don't always need to know your bathroom fits, right? I don't need to know some things about your life. But when it comes to things in my life that are keeping me from loving God with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength and loving my neighbors, myself, I probably need to know that if I'm a Christian and you're a Christian because that's where we're supposed to help each other. That's, supposed, that's where we're supposed to one another one another, to help each other, to bear one another's burdens. So Paul says, I don't want you to be unaware. Now, some of us are really quiet. Some of us are shy, some of us have gone through church hurt, so we're like, I ain't saying nothing because the last time I said it, it ended up on Facebook, and then there was a fight, and then my small group, and there was gossip, and I get all that, but I'm just telling you, Paul told the church he didn't want them to be unaware. He wanted them to know about a time in his life where he had no strength. And one of the reasons why he wanted the church to know is so that they would rely on God, but he also wanted the church to know so that they could do the best thing anyone can do for anyone, which is to pray for them. So when we keep our little secrets about being beyond our strength, guess what? We, we hinder ourselves from the help we need from the people of God to pray. Second thing I want you to notice in this verse, is he says, I don't want you to be unaware of the afflictions we experienced in Asia. Okay? Afflictions. That means things coming from the outside. Many people have debated on what this is, whether this is Acts 19 or Acts 17, um, but we know it was a tremendous trial. Now, now notice he goes on to describe these afflictions. He says, these afflictions that we experienced were so utterly burdened beyond our strength. There's our phrase. So he says, look, we were suffering, we had afflictions, and these afflictions were beyond our strength. In other words, something did something to us to deplete our energy, to drain our gas tank, to obliterate our resources. And when he says our Paul never worked alone, which we could learn something from that. Paul was on a team, and Paul's team was pretty robust. He had Luke, who was a doctor who wrote the gospel of Luke. He had this guy named Timothy who oversaw a church, and he had a lot of other partners that were like pretty strong, heroic Christians. And he's saying, look, we as a team, even together, found ourselves in a place in our life where we were together corporately, beyond our own strength. Now you say, now Paul, but how bad was it? Look at the verse. It was so bad that what does he say? That we despaired of life itself. That's pretty bad. That's not just, yeah I'm feeling a little down today. That's not, "Ah, I just don't feel right, you know, I'm I'm supposed to go to the gym and I just don't have the energy. Mm -mm." Paul's saying, look, what we experienced so exasperated us that we looked around at one another and we despaired of life. Now, let me put this in context. If you went to a licensed counselor or a licensed psychologist or psychiatrist and they said, how are you doing today? And you said, I'm despairing of life. It is very likely, if they are competent, that they would have a concern. Their concern would be that you may have a suicidal ideation. You may, you're thinking like, is life worth living? Should I eat? Should I get out of bed? Should I go to work? Should I come to church? Is it even worth it? Is it working? Now remember who said this. Paul said this, he wrote the letter, he planted the church, he saw the risen Jesus, he raised people from the dead, he's seen thousands of people get saved, and he's saying, we as a team, we as a team, we despaired of life itself. That's how bad this was. Timothy, you got anything? Nope. polish you got anything? Nope. Paphroditus, nope, nobody nobody has resources to deal. We're getting hammered. You know, it it might be better off just to be with Jesus. It's a despairing of life. But notice what he says in verse 9. Indeed, we felt that we had received the sentence of death. (laughs) That's pretty deep. Now, a lot of times when we talk about Christianity, this is the kind of Christianity that I particularly love because so much of Christianity is so light and fluffy. But this is real deep beyond our strength. Paul, what was your diagnosis after you didn't have strength, after you guys looked around and despaired? Well, we came to a general consensus, according to the text, and felt that we received the sentence of death. We're all gonna die. So no way out, we're gonna die. So they're making plans, strategies, why? Because they don't have the resources to get out. You ever been there? You ever been there as a mom, as a dad, as a single person, with a job, without a job? with chronic illness without it hearing news you ever got a piece of news where you felt like man i'm so weary and you get a phone call or a text or an email and you're like that's it i'm i'm done like i'm done i'm i'm, I'm out now i'm i'm i what's the use like this it's over with we're going to die that's where paul and the team were they were beyond strength but notice what he says but that, what do you mean that? this whole sentence, this feeling, this, this this despairing these afflictions that he says was to make us rely not on ourselves but on God who raises the dead so I want you to think about a few things just with this little this, this final part Paul says, all this happened to Make us. He doesn't say suggest. He says make us. Now what that means is if you have to be made to do something, it means that you have a resistance to it. A lot of talk these days about antibodies and being asymptomatic and vaccines, right? Resistance. So what we learn from this is in one of the greatest Christians to ever live, he too had a bent towards being strong the afflictions came, uh, kind of uh, emptied himself of his resources and his team to where they're like, we can't live, we're not going to survive. There's a sentence of death. But God had it happen to make him rely on God and not ourselves, which means we are naturally bent to rely on ourselves when things get hard we're naturally bent to rely on ourselves when we have no strength. When we got no more milk in the fridge, we're thinking, what do I need to do? When we got no more faith, we're thinking, what do I need to do? There is a a disposition in the human soul to always go to us for help. Paul says, all this was to make us rely, not on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. And I love how he says on God who raises the dead because the strongest thing in human history is actually not coronavirus, it's actually death. There's no cure for death. There's no, there's no mediation for death. There's no mitigation for death. Uh, there's, no, there's no amount of social distancing And hand washing and face masks and vaccines that keep us from dying. Death is the final and so far undefeated enemy of humanity. Death always wins. Death is like Tyson in his prime. You're going to get knocked out. Death is no respecter of persons. It kills babies in the womb. It kills babies days outside the wombs. It kills vulnerable 90-year-olds, and it has lots of agents. It will use viruses and car crashes and economies and tornadoes and hurricanes and slips and falls and aneurysms and strokes and heart attacks and diabetes and cancers. It's got a whole army that, that serves it. And Paul says, this situation depleted us of our strength in order to make us, not, hey, I have a suggestion. No, make us, because see, listen, you only do what you have to do. That's how bad we are. We we had to rely on God, and who are we relying on? The God who raised the dead. So there's death, and there's everything else. There's death, and you don't have no money. There's death, and COVID's out there. There's death, and there's, there's everything else. And Paul reminds us, and he reminds the church, that look, we've been there. We've had no strength. We, we, were, we gave up. We, you know what, we're just gonna die. But what happened is, is it forced us to rely on God. What does it mean to rely on God? It means to rely. Silly illustrations, when you go to sit on a chair, you're relying on the chair. When you get in your car, and most of us are pushing buttons now to start the car, some of us are still turning, you're relying on a lot of systems. When you push the brake, you're relying. When you push the accelerator, you're relying. When you do go out and go to the store, you're relying that you're gonna put your card in there and it's gonna go all good and you're not gonna get embarrassed, and oh, there's no money on the card. You're relying. Human existence is constantly one of relying. Another way to say that is by faith, by belief, relying, trusting in, turning to, believing in. Paul says this causes us to rely on God and not ourselves. The last thing I'd like to do with this is just bring you some applications. Bring you some applications. So the first thing I want to say is that um, this this is where we live. And if you're a Christian and you're like, I don't know what you're talking about, then I don't know what Christianity you're living. Like, I think especially now, here in Maryland, a lot of people are very conscious that we are in a season that is beyond our strength. Like, There's a lot of things going on, whether you agree with them or not, that are beyond our strength. We're we're like, wow, our morbidity. Wow, our vulnerability. Wow, our susceptibility. Wow, with all this stuff, we could still die. Like, yeah. We only have so much strength. See, the lie is, we're prepared and we're ready. The lie is, Oh, if you do this and this and this, you'll be okay. The truth is, you're not. The truth is, you need God. The truth is, you need him every second, and every minute, and every hour, and, and every day, and every month, and every year. You always need him for his strength. That's the truth. Uh, the truth is, is that sometimes when we get in these phases where we are conscientious that we're beyond our strength, The truth is, is we've always been beyond our strength. We just become aware of it. We like to think that we get in these places where we're not beyond our strength. And nothing could be farther from the truth. I'm always beyond our strength. I'm I'm always living there. That's the invitation of the gospel. Come live in another strength. Come live in another's righteousness. Come live with another's resources, not your own. And you know, when we get in these phases, whether you're a man or woman or whether you have kids or you have, you're trying to take care of parents or you're financially strapped right now or you're worried about relatives in other states and, and when you get it, there's questions that we ask ourselves as individuals. Tell me if these don't ring true of you. Um, do you ever ask what the heck's happening, right? Notice how you don't ask that question when you have a lot of money in the bank. Notice how you don't ask that question when you're healthy. Notice how you don't ask that question when your team is winning and everything's going great. You don't ask what's going on. You only ask when your strength is depleted. Here's another question we ask. How did this happen? Because we want to find the problem and fix it. Another question we ask when we're beyond our strength is, why is this happening? Why is this happening to me? I have a very dear friend, and it breaks my heart to see in his family, it's, he's kind of starting to go through like a Job type of trials. First, one of his relatives, then another, and then one of his kids, and and, and all these things are happening. It's very natural when you, when you try to bring your strength to the table and your strength can't do anything, that's when you ask, why is this happening? Another question we ask when we're in this season as individuals is, how do I get out? <laughs> right? Where's the escape hatch? I don't want to live here. Let me out of here. I got to get out of here. This isn't comfortable. This is a sentence on the death. I'm despairing, and nobody wants to live there. So where are you this morning? What questions are you really asking? You may not be telling us what you're asking, but what, what's your soul asking right now? What are you asking? Are you saying, God, why, why are you allowing this to happen? What's going on? What, what, why, why is this? Uh, what's, what's, what, what, how long have you been in this state? And, and more to the point, what are you turning to, to cope? And, and if we can just kind of set aside a little bit of our religious propensities and just talk like honest, you know, like, what are you turning to? Um, few things satisfy my soul more than a Reese's Big Cup, those fresh ones from 7-Eleven, man. The fresh ones, though, you got to get the fresh ones, not them ones been sitting up there for a long time and the peanut butter's all stale. I mean them fresh ones. And you put those jokers in like a refrigerator and chill them, oh, oh man, my soul doth long for thee. I get, uh, well, I guess I can confess it. Paul confesses, I get about, you know, two, three minutes of comfort. Yeah, I eat them that fast. And then I'm thinking about, do I get another one? Well, ah, it's COVID time. I'm going to get my COVID 15 pounds on anyway. I can't swim. Can't. Yeah, what the heck. I'm, 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 but we, my question is, what are we really turning to? Can we just have an honest conversation? Paul did. Paul did. He said, I don't want you to be unaware. We had these afflictions. It was beyond our strength. We despaired of life. We concluded we're going to die. And then he said, But this happened so that we wouldn't rely on ourselves but rely on God, brother, sister. What are you relying on right now? Like for real, for real? What are you turning to? Some of us, we turn to the law. I know what I ought to do, I know what I ought not to do. How's that working for you? I'm not saying we shouldn't have morality in times of no strength but I don't know that that's the best place to turn to. Some of us turn to tradition. Well, I'm just gonna keep doing what I used to do. Well, you were doing what you were doing and you still don't have strength. What are you turning to? Some of us, drugs, alcohol, sex, um, fantasies, video games. I don't know what it is, but, but Paul says we have a propensity to trust in ourselves. I'm just asking the question, what are you turning to? And then let me remind you of something. Contrary to what you might think, you might think King Jesus is up there right now on the throne looking at you going, yeah, what are you turning to? You can't find that disposition in the Bible. You know what disposition you find in Jesus? Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. Take my yoke. You'll find that I'm altogether different. Remember when Jesus came down the mountain and, um, and, and the man's son was, was all tormented? Remember Jesus said, how long has he been like this? That's his disposition. His disposition is, how dare you turn to reason? How dare you? He knows we're flesh. He knows in the words of the, of the hymn, we're prone to wander, prone to leave the God we love. Jesus has been doing this for thousands of years. He knows our dispositions. He's a faithful, merciful, patient, loving high priest and a shepherd, and he longs for that communion. The question is not about condemnation. It's about, hey, what are you relying on? It's not working. Would you come find that in me? Would you figure out how to trust me in it? And if we're honest as individuals, what that means for some of us is we have to go, Jesus, I have a question. I don't even know what this means. I know what it means to rely on you to be saved in eternity, but I have no clue what it means to rely on you on the day-to-day. Like, a lot of Christians don't want to raise their hand and admit that, but that's where we are sometimes. Second thing I want us to think about in terms of application is this. The church, and this phrase, beyond our strength, right? The church. So as a church, as a people of God, this is our norm, normal. You know, they're talking about the new normal. Like, seriously, living beyond our strength is Christianity. It's, it's not like we were weak, we became strong, and now we're strong. No, we were weak, we're still weak, but we got Jesus on our team, so we always win, <laughs> right? But we're still weak. We're, we're, we're not, we're only strong as it is in relationship to Him. He builds His church. He sanctifies us. He saves us. He reconciles us. He represents us. He's our advocate. He's our high priest that we can receive mercy from. And, brothers and sisters, can I encourage us that because We always are in a position corporately where we don't have enough. Now, now, now let me say this. In churches where they have enough, it's because they're really not aiming at the things God wants them to aim at. They're aiming at such low-level things that, yeah, you got enough for that. I mean, we got enough to put people in, in buildings. We got enough for those things. But when you start talking about going to all the world and preach the gospel, we don't have enough strength. When you start talking about confronting wickedness, we don't have the strength. When you start talking about sending people in teams to nations that have never heard the gospel, come on now, we don't have enough strength. We need his strength. And here's here's the encouragement for us as a church. We shouldn't let the beyond our strength state confine us or dictate to us what we can and can't do. I mean, think about it. You have the disciples who were predominantly uneducated and ignorant men, right? That's what they were. And they turned the world upside down. They didn't have bank accounts. They didn't have Lifeway bookstores. They didn't have Chick-fil-A. They didn't have Christian denominations. They didn't have a 501c3. They didn't have freedom of speech. They didn't have religious protection. They didn't have lawyers. They didn't have internet they didn't have they didn't have none of this power but they had power to turn the world upside down so the church has to become more accustomed to saying actually we are pretty much living in a state beyond our strength but our but our weaknesses are constantly being met by him not by us And those weaknesses shouldn't keep us from trying big things for God. I hear it all the time. We're going to plant a church when we have the money. Well, how much money do you need? You know, because if you had a million dollars, well, you could always use two million dollars, right? You could always use ten million dollars. And you're reminded that the early church didn't have a bank account, didn't have a million dollars. Because the gospels, I think it's free, last time I checked. And last time I checked, I don't actually think the gospel is monetized. It's, it's not commercialized. That's an American approach to Christianity where you put a price tag on everything. Last time I checked, the majority of the world lives on less than a dollar a day, and the gospel's going out, and people are making disciples, and churches are being formed without all of the stuff. So we have to get out of that paradigm that strength means ability. No, it doesn't. Weakness puts you in a position to trust God to do even more. And the last thing I'll say about the church and this phrase is just an, a, a gentle encouragement and exhortation, brothers and sisters, that we really we need to excel at loving one another when we have brothers and sisters, maybe families, that are really living in an acute season where they feel weak and vulnerable. My hope is that as a church, we would get to the point to where people could be like Paul and they could tell their small group or tell their pastors or tell a group of people in the church, hey, I just want you to know right now in my life, I feel like I got nothing. I'm despairing of life. I feel like there's a sentence of death on me. Would you walk with me? Would you sit with me and know you don't have to read John Piper to me or quote Keller could you just sit here and shut up and cry with me? Could you do that with me? Could you commit to praying for me? Would you pray for me like Daniel? Would you pray for me at 9 a.m., 12 p.m., 3 p.m., and 6 o'clock every single day for like a week? Would you just do that? Would you do that and not even tell me? Would you send me a text every day for the next seven days just telling me, don't preach sermons, just tell me you love, would you just, would, I'm, I'm weak I'm I'm I don't have strength. Would you come hold my hands? Would you carry me? The church must be a place where we as individuals can be out of strength, but we have strength because we have one another. We are uniquely built. That's why Paul wrote the church to hold one another and strengthen one another. You know, when you think about the Lord Jesus Christ, he he lived this because he never invites us to do something he hasn't done. Some of you say, yeah, but he was God. Well, in the garden in Matthew chapter 26, he, he called his three friends, and he said to them, stay here while I go over there and pray. And this is what he said. He said, and I quote, My soul is overwhelmed even to the point of death. Then the Bible says, when he went over and prayed, it doesn't say he knelt, it said he fell down. And he prayed three times. Father, if it is your will, take this cup from me. Nevertheless, not mine, but yours. Jesus knew what this felt like he knew what it felt like to be out of strength. Or theologically, we could say, he knew what it felt like to have the power to act, but in order to save us, he decided not to use it because we would have been condemned if he used his power. So he who was strong became weak to save us. Jesus knows what it's like to live with limitations. He knows that. Matter of fact, he knows it better than anyone. That's what the Bible says. He is not foreign to this because sometimes we think, well, Jesus was God and he walked on water, but Jesus also got spit on and beat and lied and betrayed and handcuffed and falsely tried and exposed to death for sins that weren't his. He knows what it's like to be without strength. He knows what it's like to rely on God Not my will, but yours be done. And the last thing I'll say to you this morning to close is you know this issue of being uh, beyond our strength has direct pathway to the gospel. A direct pathway to the gospel. Because the Christian gospel is essentially this. You're not strong enough. You can't bridge the gap between your sins and God. You can't. You're not strong enough. You're not smart enough. You're not good enough. You're not religious enough. You don't believe enough. You're not enough. Sorry, you're not. You're not strong enough. But the good news is Jesus is enough. He is strong enough. And his righteousness and his wrath-bearing death is a present. It is a gift that God is now offering to all men and women and boys and girls everywhere. So if you have a feeling that you're beyond strength, what you should do is not run from God to other things that will never give you strength. What you should do is run to God who is strength himself and run to God in Christ Jesus because Christ was born and he lived a righteous life and he died on the cross for those of us who are weak, for those of us who don't have the strength. And particularly in relationship to my relationship with God, My strength often fails. I don't have enough strength to believe him all the time. I don't have enough strength to choose righteousness all the time. I don't have enough strength to resist temptation all the time. But Jesus did. And on the cross, my sins are eradicated. My sins are forgiven. And his righteousness is given to me as I trust in his life death, and resurrection. That's the gospel. Good news for people who are living in phases beyond their strength. And the, and the promise of the gospel is, is once you believe in Jesus, he'll never leave you or forsake you. And let's be honest. We don't, we're not particularly prone to liking people once uh, they can't do a lot. God's not like that. When I'm at my worst, He is most present. The psalmist put it like this. The Lord saves those who are crushed in spirit. He is close to the brokenhearted. God is our refuge and ever present in times of what? Trouble. You know what troubles bring? A lack of strength. God is dispositionally bent towards looking at those who acknowledge, I'm not strong, I need you. And he is bent towards resourcing them and comforting them. And so I give you an invitation today to trust Jesus. You say, I've already done that. You need to trust him again. You need to say, Jesus, what does it look like to rely on you, like really, when I don't have strength? And we need to exercise that hope as brothers and sisters. So let us love one another through this season. Pray with me. Lord, I want to thank you so much for this word. I want to thank you for what it's doing in my life. I pray that it would bless and run free in the lives of my brothers and sisters and even any children who are watching today. Lord, you know what it is like for us to be without strength. You know what we're prone to do. We pray that you forgive us. But Lord, we want to just be reminded that we can rely on you and we can trust you and you're never going to leave us and you're never going to forsake us and you're going to provide everything we need. Your grace is sufficient for us. Encourage us, build us up and continue to stockpile our hope and we ask these things in Jesus' name, amen.